0: Uh, Welcome, each of you. Welcome, those watching online. Uh, Just kind of a couple family items. One is uh, thanks for participating in the Truth Challenge last week. Uh, Well over 600 of us did that together, and that's kind of neat. We all got to read the same scripture every morning. So the discipleship team did an amazing job putting all that together, so thank you for that. Uh, Also, just to kind of reiterate the whole marriage conference thing, if you're getting married or you're married now or whatever, uh, this would be a great thing to come to. um, I think there's like over 250 folks signed up already, and um, what it is is... um, Saturday night is like one session and then they're all distinct and Sunday morning the one we'll, we'll put everywhere and pipe out will be a distinct session and then Sunday night will be a distinct session as well and and uh, man Dan's a great communicator so if you want to do something come I promise you it'll be fun and you'll be engaged um, he's just an amazing amazing guy amazing communicator so I hope you'll come I look forward to seeing you there so Lord thank you so much for your love and thank you for the opportunity we have to be together. And Lord, I pray, no matter where we are in our hearts with you, or our relationship with you, that you would, um, you would have this moment where we'd be able to hear from you uh, clearly, and we would all be, leave this place just so keenly aware of the part of us you're you're working on, or you're trying to make more like you. And what I'm asking, Lord, is for like a miracle. And for that to happen, we, we need you to be front and center, no person. So, so hide me deep in your cross and let us all hear from you. And, and we'll give you praise for that in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, let me see if I can kind of get uh, us up to speed on where we are. Um, Jesus said this thing that's been reverberating in our hearts uh, for a number of months now at Alive, and, and here's what he said. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Um, and so I actually looked up the word in the Greek, and uh, here's what it means, the word full or abundant life. You may know that word. Pertaining to a quantity abundant as to be considerably more than what would, one would expect or anticipate. And we've camped out on this, and the reason we've camped out on this is because of one of the core values we have as a church, and and our core values say that, you know, we believe in in biblical authority, so we've gone on record in saying this is what we believe as a church. And so biblical authority is this, We, we believe the Bible is God's word, and it shows us the right way to do life if we are willing, if we are willing, if we are willing to follow what it says is right and true. So, if we truly believe the Bible is God's Word, and if we are a people who give the Bible authority in our lives, the next question we must ask ourselves is this, are we living an abundant life? Now, is that, that what you would use to describe your life? And, and probably, most of us would sort of answer that question with, mm, probably not really. I mean, it's not horrible. Uh, it's better than it used to be, but it's really not abundant. It may be more... Mundane or predictable, or even we might use the word average. We're comfortable, we're employed, maybe we have a family, we're doing what most people do, but we would not define it as an abundant, full life, which of course is a problem. It's a problem for a group of people who hold the conviction that the Bible is actually God's Word because jesus said he's come to bring abundant life so here's where we are either god is lying to us or we are actually missing something do you see the disconnect And so that's what we've been going after. And it's sort of the inspiration behind this series. And we're on this all-out pursuit of truth to discover if an abundant life is even possible. Or is it just something that we preachers talk about on Sunday, but nobody really believes works on Monday? Most of us would agree that Jesus, the one who said this controversial statement, would certainly be a good life to examine. I mean, if the dude said it, he's got to own it, right? So if he said it, we need to look to see what in the world he was and who he was. And, and so we're kind of looking after the life of Jesus. We're looking at the traits of who he was and, and his relationship with his heavenly father. And hopefully looking to see some of those same, same traits in our lives. Every life is telling a story and this is where the whole thing began every life tells a story but the question we've asked ourselves is is it a is it a compelling story we're working to finish the sentence, I exist too, dot, dot, dot. In fact, there's a, a poster thing in the lobby that you can actually write yours if you've actually crafted a statement. Several of you have posted on there already. And you can write your, your sentence and post it on that board for other people to see. Important, post it only on the board. You know, This isn't something you do in the bathroom wall or anything like that. I mean, just on that board is where we want them posted. So don't, don't stick those just anywhere. But, but you can do that in the lobby. But once we have this compelling vision, last week we looked at this relentless conviction in a life. It's this deep belief that something that's belief in something that means we're not easily blown off course. It, it, we're not going to be derailed by opinion or distraction or trial or celebration. We're, we have to accomplish it. It's the inner grit. So putting both weeks together to start the series, here's a summary. We would say a relentless conviction to pursue a compelling vision. That, that's where we are right now. So, you know what I've discovered? When I was younger, I had these things. When, when I was like, when I was like, just learning life, you know, I, I sort of had this thing, these things in a lot of areas I mean, of my life. You know, athletics or academics or relationships or profession. You, you probably had that too. Do you, you wanted to play in the big leagues, and so you're out practicing on the hoop, or or maybe marry your prince charming instead of a toad, or you know, maybe maybe you want maybe you want to bring world peace, or for you folks that are old, hold a coke and a smile. You know, that's kind of what you want to do, and everybody thought that's what we're that's what we're gonna do. So, my question is, what happened? And, and I think I know the answer. I'll, t- I'll tell you what happened. Life happened, reality happened, life is difficult happened. Uh, one of my favorite theologians, Mike Tyson, was being interviewed before his Evander Holyfield fight, and he said this. He said, Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Can I just, did that not just describe the majority of our adult life right there? Man, I had this amazing plan. It was going to be fantastic. Oh, I, you know, now what, you know? Well, that's kind of what happens. Who hasn't started a new job or begun a new relationship or a new diet or a new exercise regime or a new level of devotion in their relationship to God? only to run into some kind of obstacle. You got punched in the mouth. And excitement and passion are now squelched by the fact life is hard. This is difficult. And the application of Tyson's quote goes way beyond boxing. And some of us have learned or are learning, it's actually how you react to that adversity that defines you, not the adversity itself. It seems normal when people get punched in the mouth and they don't deal with it very well. We all kind of give each other a pass on that. Adversity derails us. We were once going to do this, but then this happened. I had plans to do this, but then this happened. But Jesus is actually offering a different opinion and option here. His promise of abundant life is actually... To everybody not just those who've never been punched in the mouth it's not just the few of us that got to this point in our lives without any struggles if you're even here it's actually to everybody so here's my question why is it so doggone elusive Why are the examples of abundant life people so few and far between? Let's just do a little inner inventory. Can you name three people in your life who you would say they have an abundant life? How about this? Can you point to three marriages that are in your circle where you would say they have a full abundant marriage? Would you say that about your own? Can you point to three kids who have an abundant relationship with their parents? Do yours? Because Jesus came to promise those things. What is the common story between all that have an abundant life and why is it so uncommon? Now, here's my warning to you as a fellow human being trying to get through life. I think we're going to discover an answer today, but I want to tell you, it's not going to be popular. So if if you're kind of into this idea of coming to church and like hopefully you know, not staying awake or whatever, and then, and then like you want to go and not, not have an impact, you, you should be on your phone for the rest of the time. Don't engage with me over the next few moments because this is not a, an easy answer today. We're going to get to an answer, but it's not easy. And I'll, I'll tell you how we're going to get to the answer. We're going to look at three little vignettes from Jesus' life. And, and see what he means. The first comes immediately after last week's story. So Jesus is baptized, 40 days in the wilderness, a time of trial and testing, and then he begins his public ministry. In his public ministry, the first words Jesus does or says in a public setting is this one word. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I think our loss of the abundant life can be can be traced to the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. And I'll tell you why. We get so caught up in love and grace and forgiveness and mercy, you're like, oh, preacher, keep stay there. That's so good, preacher. You know, all good things. I vote for them. Don't leave thinking I'm not in favor. We get so caught up in those things that we lose the context in which those very things become abundant. Love, mercy, grace, forgiveness all become abundant in a repentant life. If there's no repentance, then we're giving lip service to all those things we find fascinating. For most of my life, I think I've been mistaught about repentance. And I thought repentance was being like really, 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 really sorry for the sin in my life. For the pain I caused. The shame uh, producing actions. Repentance was like this beating for all the wrong things I've done in my life. And, and, And that works for a degree. It works to a degree. It works for a period of time. But it doesn't have any lasting effect. Nobody wants to go to the spiritual woodshed all the time. When Jesus taught repentance, here was the invitation. Change everything. Rethink how you think about everything. And then restructure, reorganize your life around me. Do you understand? The reason he called us to repentance was he is now here. He is now present. And when he is present and the Holy Spirit becomes part of us, friends, that means it's a complete overhaul. It's a 180 degree change. Do you know what he didn't say? He didn't say, feel different. He didn't say that. He, I haven't found a prayer in scripture. We do this asking us to invite Jesus into our hearts and I I get the meaning of it. I understand why we do that prayer and I, I invite people to do that. I really do. But when you invite Jesus into your life, when you choose to believe in him, listen, there are going to be parts of your life that you're going to have to rethink, restructure, reorganize because he's now present in your life. You're going to have to do that. We're going to have to not just like week a little bit. We're not just have to like little adjustment, but it's going to be a radical reorganization if you want to experience the abundant life that Jesus is offering. And those of us who have followed Jesus for a while, there will be seasons in your life when God will ask you to rethink and reorganize everything, even as a believer. He will. And you'll have to make this decision Some of us believers don't have the abundant life because at some point in our lives, Jesus came knocking and we didn't answer the door because we kind of liked what we had. What Jesus did teach us to pray was to ask for God's will above our own will. You know what that sounds like? Repentance. Rethink how you think about everything. No longer is it most important that Tom's will be done. But because God came near, God now lives in my heart, it's more about God's will be done than mine. Oh, yeah, the part about forgiveness, same prayer. What Jesus actually prayed was not coming to my heart. What he prayed was, Lord, forgive me in relationship to how good a job I do at forgiving my brother or my sister. That's what he prayed. Reorganize everything. Rethink everything everything. No one has ever experienced an abundant life because they asked Jesus into their heart and then made some minor adjustment and it all got better. Nobody. Nobody has an abundant marriage. And you say, how'd you get an abundant marriage? And they say, oh, we just had to tweak a little bit. We just had to get two TVs. She can watch one. I can watch one. We got an abundant marriage. It's amazing. How'd you get an abundant marriage? I just had to put a lock on the snack cabinet. Now Tom's great at night. I can go to bed. You know, whatever. Nobody's going to say, hey, how'd you get abundant family? Oh, it's so easy. We just got Disney Plus. Everything's fantastic. we got a great abundant family. Nobody says that. If you ask anybody that has an abundant life, what they're going to say is abundant life comes out of a radical commitment, and here's our words for the week, courageous action. That's where it comes from. Courageous action. Respectfully, some of us are not ready for what's going to follow. The call to Christ followers is to rethink and reorganize everything. Marriage, sex, money, family, education, priorities, integrity, faith, community, generosity, compassion, devotion, everything. And to address any of these areas is going to require some courageous actions. First vignette, repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. Second vignette, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this story is sometimes called the rich young ruler in your scripture, so we already know a couple of things. The man's rich, the man's religious, and the man has influence. He's a ruler. We also can see the man just invented the dumb question, because I know that someone told you there are no dumb questions. That was a dumb thing to say, because there really are. There really are just some dumb questions, and you guys all know it, but there are some dumb questions, and here's one of them. Because, by definition, you cannot do anything to inherit something. Does that make sense? You can't. I mean somebody dies and you get it. You know, that's kind of how that works. You know, somebody just chooses to give it to you. You didn't earn it, you can't earn it. I almost wonder if the man kind of went before Jesus and he was expecting Jesus to say, and I wonder this because I wonder if this is what I would do. Expecting Jesus to say, Oh, you know what? You don't have to do anything. You're a rich young ruler. You're a good guy, you're wealthy, you're kind. Thanks for choosing me. Here's your t-shirt. You know, I almost think that's kind of the guy I was sort of thinking about following Jesus. But that's not at all how Jesus responds. Check this out. This was Jesus' response. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Pause. Jesus didn't look at him and, like, throw stones at him and judge him. That's not what happens here. He looks at him with love. Do you remember what it feels like to look at with love? Huh? Just go home and look at your dog. You see it every time. You're looking at that dog. And you say, man, I love you. you. look at a cat. They don't care about you. That's the other guy. But the dog, the dog, the dog is into you, right? The dog, like, oh, I don't care what you do. I just want to be with you. And so that's terrible. I just did Jesus and the dog. That was a bad analogy. Forget I said that, okay? But you'll remember. So Jesus looking at him, loved him. And he said, you lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, the dude said, I'm out. I'm out because he has a mess of stuff. Do y'all remember the Ten Commandments? Like the first one, I, I, I had to look it up. The first one says this. The first one says, you shall have no other gods before me. What God's saying is, don't trust anything other than me to take care of you. If you're gonna follow, you have to lay down the thing you are trusting more than me. Repent, rethink how you think about everything. Restrategize, reorganize everything. In the New Testament, Jesus said the most important commandment was this love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. He said, This is the greatest and first commandment. Now, once again, I think the church has sort of done a bang up job of messing this story up because this is the only person in all of Scripture Jesus ever asks to give up his wealth. But we preachers have certainly made a living off of asking people to giving up their wealth. I'm just going to be honest, we have. But this is not a blanket statement. So you folks that have been sitting extra heavy on your wallet for the last few minutes, stop. I'm not going to ask you for that today. If you're wealthy, good job you. Good job you. That's great. Now make sure you honor God with your wealth. Scripture is not offering a blanket statement that it's bad to be wealthy. That's not it. When the rich young ruler heard what Jesus asked, his response was, if that's what it takes then no, I'm not willing. I'm not willing to pay that much, to do that much. I'm not willing. Isn't it interesting to you that Jesus didn't chase the guy down? It would go like, oh, I'm just kidding, rich young ruler. Come back, come back, come back, come back, come back. Come on, let me get you a cookie and a t-shirt. You know, he didn't do that at all. He doesn't even go after the guy. He didn't even shout words of encouragement. Hey, okay, let's not give it up all. How about just 1%? Let's see if we can talk about 1%. Come on back. Let's come back. He didn't even ask him to wait so he could restate his command in a more watered-down way. Check this out. He didn't even offer an easier path. The bottom line is the guy walks away. We never hear from him again in all of Scripture. The guy had a problem, and his problem was he was unwilling to take courageous action to rethink, ready, the very thing he had built a life on, and I get it, don't you? Come on, don't you pretend like you got it all together. Christianity is a call to courageous action, and to be frank, that call often scares people away. And that is painful. That is painful. To think that some of us will get to the point, Jesus will say, give me this, rethink this, and we'll say, no. But here's the other option. We can pretend the call to courageous action isn't there. And we just live after Jesus, but never experience the abundant life. Not because it isn't offered or even possible, but because we watered down what Jesus asks of us so far. And what will happen is we'll get to the point where Jesus will no longer be helpful because we've watered him so far down, he no longer makes a difference. One more story from Jesus' life, and it features the now politically incorrect phrasing of the wee little man. Any of my old school people remember the wee little man song? Okay, we're not going to sing it because it's going to offend wee little people and and everybody in the room, and I I don't know, everybody's going to be offended by it, okay? But it used to be something that we thought was gospel. It no longer is, okay? We're all acknowledging that. But the story is about a man who actually was... um, Different. So I don't know, whatever, it is his size. And he, he was actually small. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. And so he was this chief tax collector. And so not only did he have a stature thing, um, he also was this was his chief tax collector. And what that mean is what that what that mean is, what that means is um, he was a Jewish guy who was hired by the Romans. And the Romans hired him to actually fleece his own people the Jewish people. So you can see how popular he was in town. And, uh, and he was. He was getting rich uh, by cheating people out of their money. And uh, he hears Jesus is coming to town. And so scripture says, because the man was wee in stature, he, he climbed a sycamore tree to see Jesus. And Jesus comes by. And you remember, Jesus walks right up to the tree. And he looks up at Zacchaeus and he says to him, um, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going go to go your, to your house for, for a meal today. Now, in that culture, it's a pretty big deal. I think it's pretty similar in the South. You, you can decide whether or not you agree with me. Um, but it was a pretty big deal because if the whole town saw you went to their, that guy's house, well, that's a relationship there. That's a friendship. And so everybody would have started talking and posting on Facebook and stuff because, you know, they're, they're eating a dinner together. So they decide they're going to have dinner. Here's what happens at the dinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, surprise the boy didn't get hit by lightning right there. Okay, he had, it wasn't, there wasn't an if to it, okay? The man had cheated everybody in town, but he's making himself look a little better. That's okay. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said, here it comes. Today, salvation's come to this house. For the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. We have no record of what they talked about at dinner. All we know is Jesus went to the house, loved on the guys, and and somehow the guy felt was changed and decided to, ready, repent. Rethink how he thinks about everything. Reorganize, re-strategize his entire life. Now you think about what it would mean to take that level of courageous action. Look what Zacchaeus is saying. I will... I will act courageously because I've just met this man and he's changed my life. Can you imagine? Think about what it would mean if any of us, any one of us, did what Zacchaeus did. Where would you start? Where would I start? To preach that call give half of what you have to the poor, pay back four times what you cheated anybody out of? (laughs) How to kill a church in one sermon. You know, there it is. That's the sermon. Once again, this isn't something Jesus is asking everybody to do, but there is an abundant life principle here. Anything that stands between you and Jesus has to go. Not so Jesus will be your friend, but because he is. You're not doing this to earn friendship. You you're doing it because you have a friendship. And when you meet Jesus, you want to rethink how you think about everything. Your life was going 180 degree this, direct, or this direction, and then all of a sudden you meet Jesus, and all of a sudden there's a 180 degree turn that happens because Jesus has made that big a difference. Maybe I could define the difference in the two stories this way. I'm open to change as long as it doesn't mean this, said the rich young ruler. I need something to change, even if it means this says Zacchaeus. You, you maybe allow me a little bit of a rant here? Wow, that was not a warm reception to my rant. I think we're living in a culture that doesn't want to speak truth about anything anymore because it would require some courageous action And it would require us to be more loving than we ever have been in our lives. We don't speak truth about another life or decision because to do so might insinuate someone or something is wrong. But here is the real truth. Some of what we believe, some of what you are doing, some of what we are hiding is absolutely wrong. And you know it's true because your own conscience has told you that. And yet we have become so accustomed to hiding that we have settled in a watered down faith that requires no action from you or me and the abundant life is out of our reach and all we can do is complain about it. Nobody changes toward the abundant life and says, that was a piece of cake. No one embraces the abundant life and says, that was so easy. All I had to do was change one little thing. Let me tell you where my mind has gone this week. Can you imagine, I, I don't know what you believe. I think scripture teaches and I believe that one day we do stand before Jesus. And can you imagine if you go with me on that, standing before Jesus one day, and you see his scars in his hands, and maybe on his side, and maybe the, on his brow, I don't know, those scars. And you see him in his humanity and divinity, but he's side beside with his divine Holy Father. Just picture that if you would. Whatever you think that looks like in your mind, I don't really know, I just have a mental image. And imagine that moment when you stand before him in, in your isolation, just you and him. And for the first time you understand what it required of the author of love to bring forgiveness to your sin-wrecked, shame-filled life. Imagine standing there in abject humiliation and gratitude and saying, I'm so glad I chose to follow you. It really wasn't a big deal. I just had to change a couple of little things. That is so utterly condescending to a man who gave his life on our behalf. Your compelling vision combined with relentless conviction must church, must modern comfortable church result in courageous action. Otherwise, it's just words and nothing's going to change and the abundant life will always be outside of your grasp. I think the church has to stop being so weak-willed. I think the church has to warrior up a bit here. Not to go to war against anything bad in our lives or something bad. Why don't we go to war for something better? Why don't we fight for the abundant life? You don't have to fight against bad stuff. Fight for good stuff. Just warrior up. Jesus didn't get beaten to a pulp and suffer some excruciating death so we could approach following him as costume jewelry where we tweak our lives for some kind of mundane existence so we could live a life that we bail on at the moment of hardship when we get punched in the mouth. Jesus went to a cross and he came out of a grave so we could go to war and defeat Satan by the power of his blood on the cross. That's what happened. And even if it feels in your life like right now that Satan is winning a battle in your life, Don't forget what Jesus said. He popped a can and said, it's finished, loosely translated. He said, the thing is finished. He's going to win the battle. He's going to win the war. So you can say through the power of God, no more. That's enough. I will have an abundant life and no power in this world can stop the power that is in me through Christ to accomplish that. That's what it is. So let me ask, just let me ask you. Where's the courageous action that God is calling you to right now? Identify it. Even if you're going to try to numb it or ignore it later, some of you are going to act on it. Is he calling you to a courageous action in your singleness or in your marriage? Courageous action, not a tweak. Is he calling you to a courageous action in your devotion to him? For a season, maybe he's calling you to a deeper level, deeper commitment. For some, maybe he's calling to some courageous action in your finances or your generosity. Maybe he's calling you to courageous action with your time. For some, maybe he's calling you to courageous action of answering the call to ministry that you've been trying to ignore. And if that's you, we need you. We're shutting things down, left and right. If God has spoken to your heart and you need to answer the call, step up. Man or woman, step up. We need you. Maybe it's courageous action in forgiving someone who hurts you, or maybe it's courageous action in hating a whole group of people. Maybe it's courageous action in standing up for what is right in love. Maybe it's courageous action in choosing to love someone that's been unlovable to you. What courageous action is he calling you to? Because I think it's a meaningful stop on the way to an abundant life. Lord, um, we offer this moment to you. And I don't know um, what you're involved in, what you're doing in our people listening area. and. I know you've stoked my heart about this. And uh, I don't know if you're in the room or people watching online and think, man, maybe you've identified something. And listen to me. If, If God has identified something, I mean, if you're sitting there trying to ignore the one thing that keeps popping in your brain and heart, great job. Because you know what that means? In this very moment, God is speaking to you. speaking to you right now if there's that thing and it's in your mind your heart and you know it that's God He's, he's getting your attention oh Tom I don't want to have that conversation I know, I know, I know and so we find ourselves stuck somewhere between Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler how bad do we want the abundant life how bad do we want his will above our will Heavenly Father, I pray that these would be abundant lives, men and women, boys and girls, married, single, divorced. I pray that we would have abundant lives because of you and us, rethinking our entire lives because of you and us. In your name, Amen.